When you do activities that you love, like running, bike racing, or enjoying the great outdoors, you want to do them for life. Inside Tracker can help you do just that. Inside Tracker was founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging genetics and biometrics. Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, your DNA, your lifestyle, and your nutritional habits, and then tells you how to live, look, age, and perform better using their patented algorithm. Inside Tracker analyzes your body's data to provide you with a clear picture of what's going on inside of you and to offer science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. Then Insider tracks your progress every day and helps you reach your performance goals as well as helping you live a longer, healthier life. And right now, listeners of the Velo News podcast can get a great deal on Inside Tracker. For a limited time, you can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com slash Velo News. That is insidetracker.com forward slash Velo News. Get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Thanks to Inside Tracker for sponsoring today's episode of the podcast. Let's get on with the show. Uh, welcome back to the Vel News Podcast. Fred Dreyer coming to you on a lazy, sleepy Monday rest day number two here in the home offices far, far, far from the Tour de France. But let me tell you, folks, my blood pressure is still high. My voice is a little coarse. And I'm still just a little tired today on Monday after yelling and screaming and cheering at my computer live stream yesterday, Sunday, to watch uh, Sepp Kuss take a thrilling stage win and break the U.S. drought at the Tour de France. First American stage win in 10 years Pretty crazy. Uh, I don't know about you. I, I was watching on my phone as I was doing all manners of home chores. We are doing a big backyard project, and I was, like, shoveling crushed granite chip and uh, moving a lot of, like, topsoil around and was kind of taking glances at the uh, live stream on my phone as that was going on and hearing the announcers talking about this breakaway and all the riders in there. And then as they hit the final climb and, you know, David Gaudu attacked and the Valverde's right there. And then Sepp is right there, too. And I had to put down my chores, put down my shovel, go inside and uh, and watch the thing live. And I was so psyched. Sepp Kuss, as many of you know, friend to Velonews, friend of the Velonews podcast, been on the podcast a number of times before and has just uh, done a lot of stuff with Velonews over the years. It was doesn't seem like that long ago that he was just kind of hanging out in the Velonews offices um, as Chris Case and Trevor Connor were doing this climbing, um, science of climbing feature with him. And Sepp was so generous with his time to like go to the University of Colorado lab and subject himself to these various physiological tests in the name of a big feature story that we wrote on him and sort of how his physiology and the way he approached climbs uh, helped him out. This was way back, I think 2017, 18. Um, but we're just so over the moon to see Sepp win. I think this week on VelNews.com is just going to be Sepp week. So keep your eyes open for some uh, great stories and reporting around Sepp's victory and his uh, background. Uh, we have a great podcast today. Second half of the show, Andrew Hood and James Start filed a dispatch this morning from the tour's second rest day talking about Sepp's big win, um, where they were. James got some great photos of the attack and the move. Also, um, just about like how weird Andorra is in the global cycling scene, like a ton of 
pro riders, including Sepp, live in and around Andorra and train there because there's great terrain. It's high altitude, good roads, but it's kind of a weird spot. Like it's really expensive and like you can't get cell phone service there if you're from the outside. And so um, they have some good insight on the like wacky and weird role that Andorra plays in global cycling and uh, a bunch of other stuff. So we're going to hear from them. But before we get to that, I have some uh, another Sepkus voice that I wanted to bring on the podcast. That is John Livingston. John is the recently departed sports editor of the Durango Herald. That is the local newspaper down in Durango, Colorado. Durango, as we know, has churned out so many top cyclists over the years, and Sepkus is one of them. Sepkus is kind of the latest, greatest hero of Durango cycling. And John has had a front row seat for his career over these last few years and did some great reporting on what Sepp's career trajectory and his win on Sunday meant for the Durango cycling scene. So without further ado, uh, let's hear from John Livingston of the Durango Herald. Okay, now joining the podcast, it's John Livingston, formerly of the Durango Herald, uh, who has been chronicling Sepkus's rise over these years and was no doubt doing a happy dance in the newsroom uh, the other day when Sep won. Um, but it sounds like that kicked off a whole bunch of work for you. We're going to get into that. But thanks for coming on the podcast, uh, John. Absolutely, Fred. Always good to talk to you. So, John, I've been following your reporting over these last few years. You've really had your finger on the pulse of cycling in Durango, this cycling crazy town. So, John, give us a sense for how the town reacted to Sepp's big win yesterday. I mean, as an American cycling fan, I wasn't on the edge of my seat. I was yelling and screaming at the computer. You know, you're there in Durango and, you know, you have access and you did this great piece for the Durango Herald. Your final piece for the Durango Herald about, you know, the town's cycling stars reacting to Sepp's win. Like, how do people react to it and what did that mean for the town? It's so crazy because last year when he was, you know, putting in those huge climbs and, and helping pre most over at the tour uh everybody in town was like you know really buzzing because everybody was here uh this weekend it was so unique because everybody who's anybody's at mountain bike nationals in winter park so the there wasn't like this big meeting at like carver's uh one of the breweries in town that seems to anytime there's a big bike race uh the olympics there'll be a watch party there um to watch christopher blevins this year and there was for Graz in 2016 and um, that's where everybody seems to congregate for world cup races watch the world championships and nobody was here because everybody was in Winter Park for Nationals and I immediately talked to Chad Cheney the Durango Devo co-founder who uh, has always been kind of credited for sparking uh, you know Sepp's love for the bike like everybody else in this town um and they were all up there and some people were out on the course racing short track yesterday. So they didn't even like get to see it or, or know what was happening and then the rest of everybody instead of like being down at the 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 course, they were all huddled up in the Durango Devo uh, house that they rented up there in Winter Park, just like watching it and losing their minds. And as word kept getting out to every rider who would finish a race, like you would just see this immediate reaction. Like we were crowning national champions left and right yesterday um, in short track, but everybody, the first thing they wanted to post on their Instagram was like, oh my God, did you guys see Sep? Um, so you kind of felt it from all over. You know, Christopher Blevins, I talked to, he's in Italy getting ready for the Olympics. And, you know, he's over there just losing his mind, seeing what Sep's doing. Um, Todd Wells, um, his wife Meg, and uh, their boy Coop, um, obviously, uh, been huge supporters uh, of watching Sepp in his career. They were, you know, 
just elated. But it wasn't until I went out to dinner um, and had a few drinks last night after uh, putting all the stories together. And you just start to hear like, you know, Durango people who don't follow sports, but it's like, you know, it pops up on ESPN uh, and Yahoo and, and all over the place. And so people who don't maybe follow all the cycling publications, then they see it and they're like, wow, like, uh, just the fact that it hadn't been done in a decade and so few Americans have ever won a stage over there. It's just like, yeah, you started to really see that everybody in town could feel it. And, um, you know, as you've been doing interviews and talking to people like Ned over and Todd Wells over the years, there's been this kid who's been sort of gradually rising through the ranks, Sepp Kuss. You know, just from a broad perspective, how would you place Sepp within the Durango cycling community over these last few years? Is he like the big star? Is he the rising talent? Like, how would you put, how would you categorize Sepp in the Durango cycling community? Fred, when I got here, um, you know, I, I just remember I had covered one bike race in New Mexico before I ever came to Durango. And it's the Road Apple Rally, one of the longest running mountain bike uh, events in the country. And Todd Wells was always winning it. So I kind of knew a little bit about Todd, um, I remember that first story I ever did. I looked him up and I was like, man, this guy was a three-time Olympian. Like, this is pretty big. And then I come to Durango uh, a few years later and I dive right into my first Iron Horse Bicycle Classic and I'm talking to people like Ned Overin and I started looking him up like, wow, this guy was a world champion. Um, so there was always, you know, those guys that I was frequently talking to when I first really dove into the cycling scene. You know, Todd was still winning a lot of races uh, here in the U.S. And then Howard Grotz was, you know, the big uh, guy coming up and then, you know, chronicled his uh, path to the Olympics in 2016. And um, then, you know, everybody always kind of had eyes on Christopher Blevins, what he was doing on the road, cyclocross, and obviously on the mountain bike. And then, you know, it wasn't really until 2016, 2017, where I was like, looking up collegiate mountain bike national stuff. And I was like, Oh, this kid who's at CU is also a, a Durango guy. And I had never really interacted with him that much. Um, Cause he had been in college, just starting college when I had uh, come to Durango. And you know, it's like when everybody's in town and they're at the races, uh, you see them all the time, but like still just like didn't really know a whole lot about Sepp. Um, and then, uh, you know, obviously remember what he did uh, at Mount Baldy with his little breakthrough. And then he comes to Durango and wins the Iron Horse like a few weeks later. Um, and I really got a, a chance to, to chat with him. And um, from there, it's just been this like meteoric rise. But it, it, for me, it kind of was like, you know, I was so focused on guys like Todd Wells and Ned Overend and Howard Grotz that it was like, oh, yeah. And then there's this guy who's kind of doing some stuff on the road like this is unique and interesting. And just to see where it's taken off from there, it's like, yeah, he's obviously the rock star. Like when you see uh, banners hanging outside, you know, the local bookstore uh, during Tour de France weeks, you know, go, Sep, go. And it's just like, man, this kid is just unbelievable. And, you know, he was with the Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory team that Chad Cheney with Durango Devo had put together with guys like Pace McKelvin uh, and, and Howard Grotz, I believe, was on that team and Sarah Sturm. And it was like a loaded team when you look back at that and when they were all, you know, teenagers. Um so I think it, within the town, everybody always kind of saw that potential and, and that he could go places. But I mean, shoot, to go from riding mountain bikes at, at collegiate nationals to being a world tour rider within two, three years, it's just absolutely insane to, to watch it. And what specifically do you think is about Sepp Kuss himself that made people have that reaction? I mean, what is it about Sepp, his personality, his sort of status in the town that made people that psyched? 
I think in Durango, we're all really missing Sepp right now because of COVID. He hasn't been able to come back to town in a couple of years. Uh, you know, he's just a, a great guy. I think the last time he was in town, it was like him, Howard Grotz, uh, Stephen DeVoust, uh, who he's always grew up good buddies with. And I think Payson, they're all, you know, just in McDonald's drive through at 1 a.m. after, you know, going out for a night on the town. And, um, when they're here and these guys, they're just like, they're such just normal everyday, what you'd expect guys. Um, which is so refreshing because in the world of covering pro athletes so many times, these guys are a, not the nicest uh, of people. Um, they're not very humble and you don't see them out and about a lot, but with Sep, um, he's just another Durango kid. And the quality about him is that every time I talk to him, including yesterday, um, which, you know, he's taken time to, to call his hometown newspaper after something like that, um, where, you know, I think I'd be probably pretty exhausted and done with all the interviews and maybe just want to say, Hey, maybe I'll talk to you on the, on the rest day tomorrow or something. But nope, Sep made time to uh, call right away. Um, and the first thing he always asks is, how am I doing? Um, what's going on in Durango? How hot is it here? What's he missing? Um, he's just, you know, what's going on with CU Buffs football uh, as a CU graduate and myself as a CU graduate as well. Um, he always likes to take the first four or five minutes and then the last few minutes of every conversation just to talk about you and how you're doing. And I'm like, man, you're just this guy who just won a Tour de France. Like, what do you care what I got going on this afternoon or, or how hot it is in Durango? But um, that's just the quality about him is he's just such a personable kid. Um, and he always just, uh, you know, wants to engage with you as much as the, you want to talk to him. Yeah, no, we've definitely felt that at Velanids before. And in, in my intro, I was talking about how, you know, 2018, we did this feature on SAP and we, you know, he gave us a ton of time to put him in this physiological training lab and look at his numbers and write about how good a climber he was, but how he approached these climbs, looking at the data and extrapolating what average Joe riders could get out of like how to become a better climber. And, you know, it was the off season, so he had some free time and he was about to move to Yumbo. So he wasn't yet at that level but like you know we've come across plenty of riders over the years who you know they're busy they have a lot going on they have lives outside of the sport and they're kind of like yeah you know i don't eh, this is pretty involved this is a lot of time and sep gave us a ton of time a ton of insight he's always been very very um positive with the media and positive with his fans you talk to people who know him and come across him and it's like yeah he returns your text messages and your whatsapp even though he's this big huge star and i think that that accessibility um for you know national cycling media outlet makes us gravitate towards him but i can only imagine for um local newspapers and then local fans and like being making yourself that accessible has this tremendous impact because you know we've talked a lot about Durango's place in American cycling, the small town in the corner of Colorado that year, generation after generation turns out big, important, successful cyclists, mountain bikers, road bikers, Ned Over and Todd Wells, Olympians, and you know these guys and gals always talk about how one of the keys to having that conveyor belt keeping going along and along and along is access. Like you see these guys in the rides, they'll talk to you. Yes, they'll kick your head in on the Wednesday group ride or whatever, but like you see how accessible they are and, and what that experience is like for them and, and you can aspire to that. And so I guess it doesn't surprise me that, you know, the Durango Herald is coming, is calling and Sepkus is going to answer because I don't know. It, it, it sounds to me like that is sort of the tradition of the cycling scene in Durango, just kind of being carried forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and on top of that, 
these guys, when they're not at races, they're volunteering their time as coaches with Durango Devo too. It's like, you know, you see Howard Grotz in a, a coach's uniform all week at mountain bike nationals. And, you know, he's been in Montana um, for a while, but he comes back this summer and immediately just jumps back in with Devo and, and wants to coach those kids. And um, everybody, when they're back, it's like, you know, they want to make sure that the next wave of kids um, is not only getting great coaching, but that they really pick up on the fact that, Hey, you can be a top pro, but you can still be a nice guy and have a ton of fun uh, while you're doing it. And I think you just see that continue with each wave of, of the generations of Durango cycling. Yeah. John, I mean, what, when you think about that overall question, like why is Durango so successful? Yes. There's the trails. Yes. There's a high altitude. Yes. There's access to races. There's programs like Durango Devo, but like when you want to put your finger on it, why do you think Durango has year in year out been so successful at churning out world-class cyclists? It obviously helps when you're you know, born at altitude uh, and, and you're, you just grow up used to riding at 9,000 feet like some of these guys do. Um, but man, I wish I could tell you twenty a town of 20,000 people is 18,000 when I first got here. It's just grown a little bit, but you know, and there's more people who are moving here all the time. Every year I look at a, a lineup for, for say like the Whiskey 50. I'm like, there's three new names who are now calling Durango home that a couple years ago, I didn't know who these guys were. So I think everybody kind of just wants to, to be a part of it. But, you know, uh, I, I truly don't know. But, you know, when I look outside and I look out at kids. I live just down from an elementary school. Everybody's on a Strider bike by the time they're two or three around this town. And you don't see kids walking around with baseball gloves or, or throwing the football or shooting a basketball around as much, but every kid here is on a bike. Um, and it's always kind of funny. I'm like, shoot, I don't have a mountain bike of my own right now, but it's like, you know, every five-year-old's got like a $5,000 bike. And I'm like, you know, the kid's going to grow out of that thing in a year, but everybody in this town makes sure that their kid's on a bike as soon as they can be. I'm expecting my first uh, son here in about a week. So I am ready. To, I'm already, you know, showing my fiance we're looking at strider bikes and looking at town cruiser bikes like you know which bike are we going to get the kid on the back of are we going to get a trailer for him to be in or is he going to ride on it and you know when do we get the strider bike uh all that kind of stuff so it's just uh even myself as a guy who didn't come up as a you know i loved baseball football uh, basketball all those sports but now it's like immediately like yeah let's get our son on a bike so John, this win uh, for Sepkus came at a very important time for him. It also came at a very important time for you. And I saw you post on your social media account about how, you know, this was your final week at the Durango Herald. You've been the sports editor for a while. You are moving on to a different job. Um, but this victory by Sepkus, hometown hero, actually prompted you to do something fairly dramatic and drastic. So take us through how Sepkus's uh, win impacted you personally and the Durango Herald. Yeah, I was, you know, I talked to Sep. Um, uh, I want to say two or three days before the start of the tour, and he specifically mentioned the stage uh, that was going to finish in Andorra, how it was going to ride right past uh, that the house that he lives in there. Um, and I was kind of looking at the stage when I was writing my preview about him, you know, going for uh, his second Tour de France start. And I was looking at that stage, and I don't know, for me, when I was looking at it, I just I saw the profile, and usually we think about Sepp and the Summit finishes, right? But that one, you know, it had the ripping descent right after, but I just had this feeling, I was like, you know, Sepp's going to be able to go for this big, you know, tough little punchy climb uh, there at the end. And I'm like, if he could get a gap, like he's going to hold it off. And it, I just had it in my head like it was going to be like the Tour of Utah. I remember seeing him climb solo. And then he just had this downhill finish on, on one of the three stages he won there that year. And I was just like, man, if he gets a big enough gap, like I could see it playing out like Utah again, where he's able to kind of come solo to the finish line and just all the emotion and joy that I remember seeing from him in Utah. So I've been joking with Sap even, um, 
I had let him know before the tour started that I was uh, leaving the Durango Herald July 10th. Um, and that, you know, hopefully he would win a stage or do something where I'd be in touch with him again. But, you know, I wasn't sure if I was going to be uh, calling him again for the Herald. I kind of have some ideas of staying in the world of, of writing here and there, maybe uh, especially with all the people on bikes here. Hopefully I uh, get to keep writing about them because that's the community I love the most. But so, yeah, I finished up work Saturday night, July 10th for my last day. And I was feeling kind of bad because I wanted to put together this big last section in our Saturday newspaper. Uh, and I had a spread on Christopher Blevins going to the Olympics, uh, Sofia Gomez via Fane, who who's a Fort Lewis College alum representing Argentina at the Olympics. And then I had my farewell column and I'm, you know, it was a, a spread I was going to be pretty proud of, but I got so caught up in the farewell column and everything that I didn't get a chance to write about mountain bike nationals, uh, the, the junior races that day. And I didn't get a chance to put in, uh, just a, here's how Sep did on the tour today, uh, type story. Like I usually do every day during the tour. Um, and I was like, you know, that's kind of a bummer. I didn't get a story on Sep in. So the Saturday I come in, the plan all along was just clean out your desk call the call it a career and go home but it was mountain bike nationals and i hadn't written anything about that day so i stayed till 2 a.m writing four mountain bike national championship stories um for all the riley amos winning u23s and davis and Graz, what they were doing in the pros and sevilla blanc and, and ruth holcomb and everybody so I, I put together those stories and i shut my laptop and i take my key for the building off my key ring and uh, set it on top of my laptop like i told our it guys i would do and i went to went to leave for the last time um, so I was like, I got probably about 10, 15 steps away from my desk. And I was just like, you know, I've been telling everybody for two weeks that Sepp was going to win on July 11th. And it's going to be my luck that he wins his first stage of the Tour de France the day after my last day at the Durango Herald. So I was just like, you know what? This doesn't feel right. I don't think they're locking me out of my software publishing system until Monday, um, today. And so I was like, you know what? So I doubled back. I grabbed my laptop, uh, left the charger there because I was like, you know, if it's one story, hopefully I don't need the charger. Um, of course, I ended up needing that thing <laughs> six hours of work on, on Sunday. But yeah, I brought it home and um, I don't think I fell asleep till about 3 a.m. So the tour is like getting ready to start over there. Um, and sure enough, it's uh, I start waking up to all the messages of people being like, oh, man, you called it. Like, it's going to be a set day in, in France and Andorra. I was like, yep, there it is. And so I like, tune in, watch the last little bit of it, um, get to see him win. And then it's instantly, you know, picking up the phone, call his parents, call Chad Cheney, uh, you know, start texting everybody uh, in the cycling community to – you know, get their reactions to it and then sit around for a little bit. And Sep gives me a, a shout. Um, so I was able to put together one last pretty good story. They didn't lock me out of the system. I hopefully, uh, everybody in town's thankful that I was able to blast that story out. But, um, yeah, there was just no way I was just like, I just had this gut feeling for so long. I was just like, I, I can't leave my computer here. Like I'm going to need this tomorrow. And sure enough. Well, I can only imagine that the Durango community appreciated your hard work. And I definitely did. I mean, I've worked in local newspapers before and at a certain point it is sort of the passion for the story that drives you to go the extra mile and to keep local newspapers afloat. And so while you are moving on to bigger and better things, John, I think that the Durango Herald and all of the, the readers there have definitely appreciated the passion and energy you've put into your coverage. Yeah. I mean, and again, it's just like, you know, if Steph wasn't such a good guy, maybe I wouldn't, uh, you know, feel this like need to to be the one to write the story or, or make sure that, you know, something good gets out there. But I mean, shoot, when, 
he's as good to you in this whole cycling community. He's been as good to me as they have been. It's just, you feel you know, for so many years, I've been thinking like, you know, I don't really do this for the newspaper or the bosses or the, the editors who are there, but you're doing it for the community and for those athletes. And um, yeah, it's just been such a ride to, to get to, you know, have them let me into their personal lives and, and chat with me all the time. And, uh, you know, with a guy like Sepp and how fast he rose to the world tour ranks and just how quickly he's come into being like the, one of the superstars of the sport. It's just, um, you never see him change. And he also just like, lets you feel like you get to be a, a tiny piece of it. So, um, yeah, just huge, huge thanks to Sepp. John Livingston, great story on Sepp Kusin is when you can see it on uh, the Durango Herald's website. John, thank you so much for making some time with the podcast and uh, definitely hope to read some of your writing in the future on VelaNews.com as well. Absolutely, Fred. We'll uh, we'll make it happen. I got uh, um, some up and comers that I'm sure we'll be writing about for another 20 years down here. So we'll, we'll find a way to make it happen. Today's episode brought to you by Inside Tracker. When you like what you do, like running, bike racing, enjoying the great outdoors, and you want to do it for life, Inside Tracker can help you. Inside Tracker uses their patented algorithm to analyze your body's data and provide you with a clear picture of what's going on inside you to offer you science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. Right now, you can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store by going to Inside Tracker dot com forward slash vela news that is inside tracker dot com forward slash vela news thank you so much to inside tracker let's get back to the show welcome back to the vela news podcast from the tour de france i'm andrew hood here with james start and uh, it is the rest day here we are in andorra and this is a place that's really emerged as a kind of a new mecca for cycling. Uh, the Welta comes here a lot, the Tour de France obviously passes through every once in a while some other races, and it's become a big place for riders to live. Um, James, what, what's your take on Andorra? How many times have you been here? <laughs> um, you know, I'm pretty pretty underwhelmed, I'll be honest with you. I've been to Andorra maybe half a dozen times in my life, and I'll, I'll never forget when I was a kid, I was kind of fascinated with ge- geography, and I remember seeing Andorra, this principality, and what was that, and I imagined castles in the sky and these sorts of things and I finally got here the first time maybe 20 years ago or something and it's just a big shopping center it's like a huge continuous mall um, finding anything natural is pretty tough here downtown obviously the cyclists don't spend much time down here they live up in the hills and they ride up in the hills and they got some really nice climbs as we saw yesterday as we've seen one anytime we've come here and gone to say Arcalis or something like that but Andorra the, the town is, is, is pretty underwhelming and it's just non-stop traffic because there's only so many roads in and out. It's not a place I would come and live unless maybe I was a world-class cyclist looking for some, some altitude. Yeah, or some tax credits because... Well, I didn't want to say anything about the tax credits, but you did, okay. <laughs> yeah, the, ta- the taxes here are a flat 10% rate, so imagine if you're a cyclist on a you know, million dollars a year, that you can save yourself quite a bit of change right there. Yeah, I don't have that problem. Yeah, we do not have that problem with Eleanor's, and, uh, you know, we'd like to have that problem. <laughs> we would. Uh, but, uh, you know, people kind of slag off on, on Andorra. I'm a little bit softer at spot for the place because I love to ski, and there's some fantastic skiing high up uh, in the Pyrenees. This is some of the highest terrain in all the Pyrenees. That's why the tour comes here so often. But one reason why riders are moving here is because it's almost like a built-in altitude training camp. Yeah. Um, half of Jumbo Visma lives up high on the road where we came down from uh, the Grand Valera ski station yesterday. Uh, that's where Robert Haysink lives up there. 
George Bennett lives here. Seth Cruz lives here. And, uh, you know, the guys like it because, um, you know, you don't have to go to Gran Canaria, uh, Lavinio, or Sierra Nevada to get the altitude. They're basically sleeping in altitude. And I think over in the long term, it kind of gives them just a little bit of an extra edge. You know, the downsides here, I think, if you are a cyclist, not a lot of flat roads, but you can just ride down to Spain. It's not far away. And then as well, it's a long way to an airport from where we are in Andorra. It's about three hours down at the Barcelona airport. Wow. So for guys that, you know, on the road a lot, that's an inconvenience. But uh, I think now about 60, 50, 60 guys live here. Uh, quite a, you know, pretty good sized chunk of the expat uh, community now lives in Andorra. Well, from a, you know, from a, just from a, you know, a cycling training standpoint, you can, yeah, you can certainly make arguments for it say as opposed to Girona it's not an altitude although Girona's uh, terrain is more varied which is nice um, but uh, yeah if I was a million dollar a year cyclist I, I don't know where I'd uh, I wouldn't live in Monaco I'll tell you that I mean that's just like all uphill or you ride like along the ocean to Nice and that's like stoplights and traffic um, Andorra yeah why not I mean I don't know there's gotta be some place that has, does a better job of combining um, a nice uh, community environment with altitude, but nobody's found it yet. Called, and with and with a tax, a flat tax rate. That's called uh, that's called Colorado, but that's another story. Yeah. Um, speaking of Colorado, great. Uh, I mean, yesterday, what a what a magnificent win by uh, Colorado's very own Seth Kuss. I mean, uh, you know, he's really been struggling so far in this tour. Hasn't really haven't really seen the same spark in his legs. He, he even said as much yesterday. But you know, Yumo Visma really played their hand yesterday. There's only five guys left on the team. Three of them were in the breakaway yesterday. Well, Van Art, Steven Kweiswick, and Seth Kuss. And, uh, you know, really rolled the dice, hoping that uh, those three would be up the road to help Jona Vingegaard if he, uh, you know, could do a re- repeat of the Von Tu attack of Pogacar. And then, of course, um, when that scenario played out a little bit differently than they might have hoped, they, they gave uh, Seth the green light. You know, seeing Seth win, I mean, you've known Seth now for a couple of years. He's one of our favorites here at Velenews. What do you think of uh, Seth's future potential, and how big do you think this win was just for him personally? Uh, it, was, it was a huge win. It was a beautiful win. Brilliant riding by the team and by, by Seth. That's, that's what I call using the home court advantage, two-year advantage. Um, and huge win for American Cycling. I mean, our first, uh, first uh, tour uh, win in a decade. Uh, that was a long time coming. Uh, in terms of American cycling, I think it's exciting because, we, you know, after the, uh, we've had a little bit of a, a, a lull here and um, fewer American cyclists in the tour than we've had in years gone by. But there is a new generation knocking on the door. Seth uh, is one of them, Brandon McNulty, obviously, Nielsen Palace, and there's others. So I think in the next five years, you're going to see a, a resurgence in American cyclists. Um, and Seth in his press conference was very astutely pointed out, you know, Everybody, all the, the Americans that are here are all riding tremendously. Nielsen was in the uh, break yesterday, and Brandon, in his first tour, is you know is just doing a ton of work for the yellow jersey, and you know has untold potential at this point. Uh, so I think it was tremendous for uh, it's a, a huge coup for American cycling because you know winning here in Andorra is a it's a big climbing stage, one of the biggest climbing stages of the of the year, and for him to to win solo like he did is is just huge. Last thing. Maybe it'll start giving him some more ideas. I mean, Seth could lead, be a, a tour leader on many teams. And it's a question of time and intention, I think, before he gets a serious offer that he's going to have to think about. 
because he's obviously got the potential to, to, to be a, a grand tour leader. Well, in, indeed, uh, Sepp, uh, that, that was already making the rounds last year after his great tour debut. He was 15th overall, just being a helper for Primoz Roglic. Um, but he actually has signed, uh, over the winter, signed the contract extension to stay at Jumbo Visma, I think, through 2024. Um, but built into that contract is a chance for Sepp to have his chances to lead. Of course, when it comes to the Tour de France, he gladly uh, rides as a domestique. But he, we might see Sepp have some uh, possibilities to ride at the Welta. That was the plan initially to rise a GC rider. But it makes you wonder, though, with, with Roglic crashing out, well, that he uh, probably would be second fiddle to Roglic again at the Welta. Yeah, he may be. But I think Roglic crashing out uh, it could have long-term significance on the team. Uh, because why? Because, they've been, again, they've been forced to... Last year he cracked or he, you know, he didn't close the deal in the last ET. This year he came in and crashed out. Um, they may be... And they're learning they can win in a lot of different ways. Uh, they've done it here on two occasions, and they got you know they got the white jersey and you know probably podium finisher with uh, Jonas. So they're seeing they may have a lot more cards to play, and maybe next year they're not going to put them all into the Primos uh, pile. We're going to see how that plays out with the team dynamics. They got a lot of great riders. Is it going to be really worth it for them to put everything on Primos? Is when, especially when you got a guy who's a confirmed talent like Pogacar, who's probably going to win his second tour here. Uh, it's no guarantee he's going to win a tour. So do you really want to put everything into the GC for maybe second place? Or do you want to come in hitting at all angles and maybe try to upset the table? And then, you know, Sepp's role is going to be different. Perhaps, perhaps. I, th- I think that uh, Jumbo Visma, from what I picked up on, is planning on coming back next year with the Tour de France with Roglic. Just because of what you're saying. I mean, Roglic now... 31, he'll be 32 next year. You know, that is the ultimate prize for a cyclist and an organization. You know, they come so close. They built this great team within the franchise. So I think that uh, Primoz will be their guy again for another year or two. But, you know, Vingegaard is coming out of really the woodwork. You know, here's a young guy. Wasn't really expected to race the Tour this year. He came in for an injury. And, you know, look at him. He's, he's uh, riding for the podium. And I think uh, Vingegaard really, um, if he can get through these next few stages, and it looks like he will, uh, he probably should finish second uh, because he's, he's a much better time trialist than any of the other guys riding in, in podium position right now. Uh, going back to Sepp, you know, and that, like James said, that was the first win since 2011 when Tyler Farrow won a stage in that year's tour, his only tour stage. Of course, Farrow was probably the best American sprinter uh, at the Grand Tour level maybe we've ever had. Um, but since then, you know, um, we've had a whole generation come through in a lot of close calls, a lot of top fives in stages, but no one really could win. I mean, Talansky knocked around in the top 10 a couple of times in the GC. Uh, TJ uh, Van Garderen, of course, twice top five. But, you know, it's been a while since we've had an American rider that can really excite the fans and get everybody excited about the Tour de France. We'll see. I mean, on paper, probably Brandon McNulty, you know, has that broader skill set, whereas Sepp is more of a pure climber. And Brandon, you know, he's got that great time trial, and he can improve in the mountains. And I think this experience for Brandon is going to be a big step for him just to get the tour in his legs. I mean, he's crashed a couple of times. Of course, James had your photo there with Global. Um, you know, and that's going to be uh, really, I think, laying the groundwork for Brandon. You know, he was supposed to go to the Giro to be their team leader. He's riding so well. UA brought him in to help uh, Pagata, who right now seems like he's untouchable. Well, I mean, I remember I talked with Alan Piper, uh, my friend who, you know, directed uh, uh, Pogachar to victory last year. And he, he said to me, you know, he said, he said very clearly on the team, he said, we have to have McNulty. McNulty will definitely be the la- of all of our riders, you know, Mashka, everybody. McNulty's the guy 
who is most capable of, of accompanying uh, Pogachar, the last man in the mountains. Mm. That's how much confidence he has. Um, and Alan Piper knows cycling. He knows riders. He's got an amazing nose for talent. Um, he was the one on the team who said, because a year ago, they came in, the team leader was maybe Aru. And he said very early on, no, no, no. We got a guy, a kid, who went three stages in his first Grand Tour. We got to give him as much attention or more than uh, Fabio Aru. And he's the one who really charted out that victory last year. So he believes in Brandon a whole lot. And I think, uh, and, and, and Alan rarely really gets things wrong when it comes to these sorts of questions. So Brandon's got tremendous talent. Yeah, it's, it was exciting to see uh, Seth win that stage yesterday. I mean, he lives here in Andorra. I know uh, his girlfriend and uh, I think her family were waiting alongside the road. And I saw a video clip when he uh, hugged his girlfriend. He's like, yeah, I saw you guys on the road. And, you know, Seth, he, he's just a natural born climber. And man, what a way, you know, what a progression he's made. You know, he was a collegiate mountain biker, never really raced on the road until he got into his 20s and immediately made an impact. You know, he's winning stages in all the big races in the United States got that contract at the world tour level with Yumbo. it took him kind of a year to kind of adjust to the world tour level I mean, it's fair enough and then boom you know uh, two years ago won a stage uh, well outside then he won uh, last year at the Dauphiné and then now this year the Tour de France I mean he's probably the best pure climber since what Andy Hampston to come out of the United States yeah I think so um, yeah in terms of pure climbers yeah and that's you know it's very much what he is uh, and you know charismatic kid too I mean you know really articulate a lot of fun to talk to always really really you know one of the for the press one of the good guys in the pack I and mean, just always um, willing to talk and, and, and be thoughtful um, so it's a real pleasure it's, it's great for, it's just tremendous for the sport it's, just, it's certainly tremendous for American cycling um, but yeah no, I'm excited I think uh, like I said already uh, the, the Seps win um, is, is you know icing on the cake for more than icing on the cake uh, it's, it's just it's sort of the tip of the iceberg for this this power trio mm. uh, that we got here which I I think lends a lot of hope and promise for American cycling in the next five years I think we could really see a new wave coming um, and so I'm really excited about that and another thing uh, we're talking about on the podcast is like uh, you know what was the most interesting conversation you had the last uh, several days with a source or a colleague or someone that, you know, a writer maybe that uh, you've been talking to over the last several days. For me, it was, uh, I had a chance to speak to Daniel Martin the other day in the, in the mix zone. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to have an in-depth conversation with a writer uh, these days and the way the media restrictions are working. But, you know, I was asking um, Dan, Dan Martin, you know, is there anything that you see in Pogaccia or anything in this tour that, that you know, it's a red, red flag for you? And, you know, there's always been this speculation, you know, can we believe a Pogacar is winning? And uh, Dan Martin said, you know, the buzz within the peloton is there's nothing there that's like, you know, flashing lights that anybody should be worried about. And he was pretty quick to point out, it's like, you know, why and how is Pogacar winning by five minutes? And again, he pointed out, you know, guys crashed, uh, Pogacar had a great time trial, and then he did that big attack in the, in the Alps. And, you know, he, 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 he brought the point up too was, you know, the big doubt about Pogacar is how well he could perform in the in the heat. And then yesterday, Pogacar basically put that theory to rest, that everyone thought that somehow that was like the chink in his armor. Um, it's always good to catch up with Dan Martin, and he always kind of, you know, he's, he's been around long enough, he knows the sport, and he's not afraid to, to say what he thinks. Uh, anybody that you've talked to the last couple of days, James? Well, probably the most interesting guy I've talked to is you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, James. No. I wasn't going to say you, but yeah. <laughs> Oh, I had a, a very funny, I mean, it's just offhanded, 
uh, funny conversation with uh, Guillaume Martin, mm. who was, you know, he pulled up at the at the uh, at the sign-in podium, you know, and this is a guy every day he goes to the Mixoni and you know, how do you feel? How are the legs? What do you think? Da da da. <laughs> so I show up and I say, hey, how's it going? And he starts interviewing me. Mm. <laughs> he's just and he's like so um, you know going to the third week how, how are you recovering you know ready for thinking getting the break today you know <laughs> and I was like ah, I don't think I'm going for the GC this year I think I'm too old for them just going for the stages at this point and we just had a good laugh and he's a brilliant kid you know the guy wrote has written a book uh, on called uh, Socrates uh, and the and the tour um, and very funny very funny guy very creative guy he's written a theater piece and he's just, I mean, the guy's in the middle of the tour, he's in second place, he was, he was in second place when this quasi-faux interview happened. And it was just fun. It was just fun to have that kind of exchange with the rider and, you know, because it's so hard to have any contact with anybody. Well, that's just it. The media restrictions are, are quite limited. So, yeah, James has been doing this great series this year, you know, uh, going out really trying to capture one moment of how, you know, kind of summing up the whole stage of that day, the color, the heat, the stress, whatever it is. So yesterday you had this great shot, James, of Coos. Um, you know, attacking for the stage win. Uh, talk to us about, you know, how did you get that shot? How did you plot that out? And, where, you know, where did you find that spot to take yeah. the photo? Um, well, we call it getting the shot, and I'm not always sure that I get the shot, but I always, you know, make sure I get at least a shot that I'm satisfied with. Uh, yes, it was hard. Uh, so, obviously, we weren't, we're going up this whole new, this new climb at the, right at the end. Uh, I know the, the Pas de la Caz climb, and wasn't convinced that I was going to get anything there. It's a big kind of big wide road. Um, it's hard to kind of come up with something really, uh, I thought very exciting there. So I was, I wanted to hit this last climb. I looked at the grade and it was like 10%. It was steep. And, and we got up there and it was, it was, we drove ahead and it was you know, really narrow, really steep. Just parking was, was like really hard to find a place. Finally, I found a place in a, a wheat field that had just been cut down. So that was nice. There was a bunch of, and, and there was a couple of photographers up there, and it was spectacular. We were overlooking this series of hairpins and winding pins, but I, it was just one of those, I wasn't quite sure how I was going to actually frame it and capture that. And I walked down to the turns, and I wasn't really coming up with something that said, I'm an Andorra. Um, but then, you know, I heard the step was out, and I, I found the spot kind of above. And I just thought I would focus on, you know, the rider coming around this hairpin. Maybe a, there might be a fan that jumps in, you know, at some point. There might be something like that. But I will just like the actually the form of one lonely ride, one single rider against the black of the, the pavement. You know, it's almost a tableau, you know, as you say, mm-hmm. uh, with the movement of the guy kind of, you know, wrestling his bike around the turn. So I'm thinking aesthetically like that. Um, and, and he came around. I wish he would have come around the turn a little bit wider. Seth, we've got to work on that next time. Okay, I'll communicate to you. Um, but to my surprise, a lot of the guys did. They all came around really tight on a very tight hairpin. Um, but, you know, I, I got a shot that I think talked about, you know, this, the solo effort, if you want. And um, and you can tell, you know, <laughs> it's the end of the day, he was, his tongue is kind of hanging out a little bit. And it's pretty, it was, uh, I like the shot. Yeah, it was a good one. And of course, the amazing thing uh, yesterday was that there was none other than Alejandro Valverde who was chasing him. Uh, at second on the stage, been 41 years old, Valverde. Anyway, we got to wrap it up. I got to, speaking of Pogaccio, we have a press call with him right now. So check back to Bell News for the podcast and all the news. And James starts great photos. So checking out here from Andorra. Adios. Adios, amigos. Okay.